Okay, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Right. Uh, let's uh, review where we are so far. If you have your uh, Bibles, last time in chapter 10, uh, we talked about the first two woes uh, and what happened uh, because of them uh, here on earth. And this is part of the seven trumpets uh, we're talking about. As uh, Saint John saw in the, you know, the second vision that he saw. And as we, you know, remember in chapter ten, the first war was what? That was chapter nine. I'm sorry. In chapter nine, the first first war, which is the fifth, you know, seal was what? I'm sorry? The star... Um, the star that fell from heaven to earth and released the... basically uh, given key of the abyss and then the locusts that looked like horses and looked like fa people looked like all sort of stuff and we said that this is what do you remember totally forgot remember what we said about those uh, scorpions what were they the locusts I'm sorry locusts the you know, scorpions come next these were heresies right these were basically heresies that are given for people uh, and people are going to be wishing to die and they would not find death. Uh, believe it or not, this particular problem of wishing to die and not finding death, uh, we were in a retreat with 12th grade, high school, and turned out a lot of the kids in the high school age, and maybe even younger, have contemplated suicide at some time or the other. And as we said, the devil tries to make it look like, yeah, just commit suicide and everything is going to be done and over with. And, you know, why are you here? Just dying, everything is going to be fine. So people wish death. But again, the fear of death and the fear from what's going to happen next sort of also pushes, which is, in a way, God's gift for us that we are afraid of death. So we don't just commit death and without repentance and without being prepared for it. Uh, and then the sixth trumpet, which is the second woe, was what? And it was loose the, angel, uh, the four angels who were abound at the great river Euphrates, and third part of the man. Uh, and basically, there was a major war with the 200 million people that we talked about. So that's chapter 9. And then, when we went to chapter 10, uh, as the habit of the revelation, God sort of stops the 
sad events or the bad events and then he reminds us who's in control and whose power and we saw this mighty angel who's standing with one foot on sea and one foot on water on the land and he has control of of everything and we said that this mighty angel uh, is the lord himself in chapter 11 we're going to see what's almost the the end it's not exactly the end but it's almost the end and we're going to start addressing the issues of the antichrist and what's going to happen at that particular time so don't why don't we read chapter 11 all of it first and then go back and go verse by verse i was going to volunteer chapter 11 yes please then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the place outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days, closing the one. There are the two olive trees, and the two lambs stand standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. They have power over water to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish the testimony, the beast that sends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days, and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here, and they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, seven thousand people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is passed. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Okay, let, let, let's stop there. Okay. So, as we can see here at the beginning, there's a measurement. And then we talk about the two witnesses, and we'll get to that. So, let's, let's talk about the measurement. We find that in Ezekiel 40 and Zechariah 2, and we saw that the Lord is measuring Jerusalem. And especially in Ezekiel, this happened before the captivity. Uh, so measuring in the Old Testament basically was used. So when the Israelites went into the Promised Land, they the Lord assigned one from every tribe to measure the land and divide it among people. So we say, you know, the Lord measured something, or when any just a person measures something, means he wants to know how much is his and how much is not his. So here the Lord is measuring to know who is his and who's not. In the big, you know, if you go back to the previous chapters, we saw that the Lord was waiting, telling the the angels, for example, wait, hold on, and you know, until everyone 
is sealed with the seal of the Holy Spirit, uh, with the seal of God. Now there's no more waiting. Now this is close to the end time, so whoever is measured is measured. Whoever has the seal of God and whoever is close, that's it. Because we are toward the end times and there's no more changing of mind and there's no more opportunity to repent and go back and um, have a new way. And that was in chapter uh, 7, which we talked about the waiting for the seal of God. So the repentance time is, the you know, God gives us an opportunity for a period, and then after that period, we lose our chance probably sometimes of repentance, like what happened with the Church of Theatra. If you go back to the Church of Theatra, Verses uh, chapter two, verses twenty and twenty-one, you'll find that the Lord, he, you know, gave them time to repent. But after that, there was punishment after this time for repentance. So if we see somebody who's in sin and is not repenting, and God is leaving him alone it's for a limited time, whether it's here on earth or it's going to be accountability up in heaven, and that's a reed like a rod. Uh, again, in other Examples, the, the, the measuring was not by a rod, it was measured by uh, like a rope uh, or something of that nature. Uh, here, a rod means it's, it's an accurate measurement. There's not going to be like, you know, anything loose in it or anything like that. So it's an accurate measurement of who's in and who's not. Who's not. So God, God is going to measure our hearts and, and our deeds and see who's in and who's not. And the angel stood saying, Rise up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. So if we worship inside the altar, inside, you know, we're the temple of God. And if we worship inside, we have a constant relationship with God who's always worshiping, we're okay. However, if we're outside, as we're going to see in the second verse, but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it was given to the nations. And that's why I find the fathers of the church become very upset with people standing outside. And by nature, when you're standing outside the church, what happens? You don't feel that you belong inside. You end up talking, you end up, you know, chatting, and you end up being whatever. Though physically you're in the court of the church, but you're in the outside court, you're not inside. So imagine if you were living away from the church completely. Of course, I'm talking to people here who are attending a Bible study, so thank God, you, you know, guys are not that kind, but if people are living completely away from God, after a while, God said, let those who sin continue to sin, let those who commit adultery continue to commit adultery, because the time is, there's no more time for repentance. Their heart is not going to change. Uh, and that's why were told, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because after a while, our heart becomes hard and rock. It doesn't change. Uh, verse 2, But leave out the cord which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it was given to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, the 42 months, if you divide it by 12, it ends up to three and a half years. The period of three and a half years 
going to start getting into counting by days because when we look at the two witnesses, they're going to also serve for almost three and a half years as well. Uh, so the the time when the nations will you know trample the holy city for 42 months is this is the time when the antichrist is going to be ruling from this verse some people are, are predicting or saying that the antichrist will rule basically in jerusalem because that's the holy city uh, so maybe he'll be ruling in jerusalem another opinion saying that's not really important jerusalem is no more the holy city because God said, I leave you your house, you know, uh, in ruins, and Jerusalem itself and the temple was destructed. But most likely, that means that the devil is going to be sitting in the church. The Antichrist, I'm sorry, will be uh, trying to pretend, uh, create his own church and sit in the church declaring himself to be a god. Uh, why do we hold this literal? That's a very good point. Uh, again, it's a period of three and a half years. It might be literally three and a half years. It might be just a period uh, from the you know the rest of the Book of Revelation. We find that the period of three and a half years comes more often. And a lot of the fathers look at the time the Lord served before He was crucified. And you know, and compare that. They say most likely that's the same time that the devil, or the, I'm sorry, the antichrist is going to be here on earth. They also go back to the prophecies of Daniel, the prophecy of the seventy weeks, and they take the last week. We'll come to that some some other time and maybe some other lifetime. Uh, look at the last week of the seventy weeks. The seventy weeks is divided into um, seven weeks, which is forty-nine years and then 62 400 and something and then the last week which the week of Christ's ministry the first three and a half years and they say time is going to stop and then it's going to sort of continue later on when the Antichrist is going to come to continue that last week which is the three and a half years so several things make people believe that those three and a half years are actual literally three and a half years Um, so only God's people are allowed inside the temple which means that you know those who are adopted by baptism uh, and no one who's not clean for any reason is allowed inside if you go back to the Old Testament find who's allowed inside the, the temple not only God's people which is those who are accepted by ba baptism and even if you're from God's people but you're not clean you're not allowed in for whatever reason so if we're, you know, we don't repent, basically we're sort of unclean because that's what sin represents, you know, uncleanliness is represented in the Old Testament, it only represented sin. So when we're inside the church, are we inside the church mentally, physically, emotionally, or are we just happen to be here? Uh, when the time comes for measurement, how is God going to measure and find our hearts? Are we, you know, going to find us really inside? or our bodies inside, our brain somewhere else, our mind somewhere else? Hopefully not. So verse th 3, 
starts and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy a thousand two hundred and sixty days cloth in sackcloth okay. so again if you take one thousand two hundred and sixty days divided by thirty okay, ends up to be exactly forty two months or three and a half years so the difference between that time and the antichrist is going to be like nineteen days 18 or 19 days now why do people who, do, who these two witnesses are some say that these are the old and new testament okay which is great others go back to malachi if we go back to chapter 4 to the book of you know malachi and the old testament malachi and let's read chapter 4 together because that's one of the very important chapters that gives us clues about what's going to happen and why p people believe that these two individuals are basically the people we're going to be talking about right now which Elijah a lot of the people, the fathers say that these are Elijah and um, Enoch it's the last book in the Old Testament. The very last book. And it's like three pages, two pages. All right. Let's read chapter 4, which is like six verses. So chapter 4 talks about Elijah being sent back before the dreadful day of the Lord. And if you actually go back to chapter 3, let's go back to chapter 3 in the same book, Malachi, Malachi verse 1, And behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the Lord of hosts okay. people Elijah was mentioned that he will you know be coming twice uh, actually hold on let me just look at this quickly This particular chapter, chapter 4, confused the Jews a lot. If you go back to the time of Christ and even, you know, John the Baptist, uh, a lot of people were confused about John the Baptist, about Jesus. Is this, you know, 
uh, Elijah, uh, who is this, uh, and so on. And the Lord told them basically that uh, this is not Elijah, John the Baptist is not Elijah, and John the Baptist said about himself, I'm not Elijah, I'm not anybody, I'm just, you know, uh, a voice crying in the wilderness. And but Jesus basically he confused people when you know deliberately when he told them what so what do you want to believe? Do you want to believe that this is Elijah to believe that this is God's day? Go ahead, believe whatever you want. And the father said that what the Lord meant here is he meant that John the Baptist came with the power and strength of Elijah. Because Elijah, for example, rebuked Ahab, the king at that time, and the king used to be afraid of him. The same way Herod was afraid of John the Baptist. He couldn't do anything about him, but he was afraid of him. And because of his you know, power and because of the God's power that's in him. So that's why the Lord told them that if you want to believe that the, this is uh, Elijah, go ahead and believe. So because of you know, verse 4, 5, here when the Lord said, Behold, I'm sending you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Jehovah. Because of this verse, a lot of the fathers believe that Elijah is one of the two witnesses. They're going to come back. Okay. So, when we are going to read about the witnesses, we're going to find a lot of miracles that happened. Some of it similar to what Elijah did, like fire coming from heaven, striking people. Uh, or actually here it says fire comes out of the mouth and burns people up. And in Elijah's time, when the king sent uh, the 50 soldiers with their chief, you know, to capture Elijah. The first group came in, Elijah said, if I'm a prophet from God, let fire come from heaven and burn you guys. So fire came from heaven, burned everybody up. Second time, the same thing. And the third time, the, the head of the, the soldiers was very humble and very smart person. He bowed down before coming to Elijah and said, you know, the prophet of God, the king sent me. I have no authority. I have nothing. I was just forced to be here so be kind to your servant and come with me you know lest I get punished and only at that time Elijah went with him to the king so the same thing is going to happen with these two prophets they said that you know at that time anybody's going to talk to them or be against them a fire is going to come out of their mouth and burn them so that's one thing so unanimous agreement from all you know the fathers that one of the two witnesses is Elijah now the second one, there's a lot of discussions about the second one. Majority says it's Enoch. Why? Elijah did not die so far. He was taken up by a chariot of fire to heaven. The other person who did not die in the Old Testament is Enoch. And the only thing we know about Enoch was like one verse. And Enoch walked with God. And he's there no more because God took him. And that's it. And you find people writing books about Enoch and, you know, life of righteousness and so on. So the two people, and I actually, if you go back to the book of Jude, letter of Jude, I'm sorry, just one chapter. It said, Enoch prophesied. Where is that prophecy? Again, this is part of the tradition. It's not part of the, the Bible itself. So that's, that's why people, you know, a lot of the, the fathers think that the two witnesses that are going to come 
are going to be Elijah and Enoch because these are the only two who did not die. Others, however, like to say that these are Elijah and Moses. And why is that? Because when I see here is that they're going to have power to turn the water into blood and send plagues whenever they want. Same thing as Moses was, was doing. So that's why they say it is probably Moses and Elijah. Whether it's Moses and Elijah, whether it's Elijah and Enoch, whether it's two other people with this, their power and their strength, what's ha going to happen is that at the time of the Antichrist, when he's going to be inside the church, we don't know the church, right? Inside a church and claiming himself to be God, confusing a lot of people and making a lot of people follow him as if everybody have forsaken God and went after this person, God's going to send two very powerful people that will oppose the Antichrist for most of his reign. The Antichrist is going to be reigning for three and a half years and these two witnesses are going to be opposing him for three and a half years minus 18 or 19 days. So it's very important to know that even during the worst times, God is not going to leave us alone if we're going to still going to be alive. Still don't know when this is going to happen. God is not going to leave us alone. The, the devil tries to scare us from everything. How are we going to survive this? What's going to happen? And all that. For every event that's happening in the book of Revelation that is scary, the Lord is assuring us that he is there, he's in control, and he's sending us strength and support at all times. So this is what we have to keep in mind. The one counter-argument that people have against Moses is that if we go back uh, to St. Paul, he says that uh, people were given to die once. So people use that verse and say, well, wait a minute, people are given to die once for God. Why would Moses die twice? Lazarus also, in a way, considered to be died twice, but why Moses would die twice again? Uh, and a few thousand years in between. So that's why there's a lot of uh, uh, emphasis on uh, Elijah and Enoch. Right. Let's go back and read what they're going to be doing. And I will give power to my two witnesses that they will prophesy. I will give power. Right? Imagine God himself is saying, I will give power to you to speak in a specific event. Right? As he promised before, uh, do not be afraid when you go and speak in front of kings and rulers because I will put words in your mouth. Uh, every time we are in a hard spot, or hard time uh, forced to be there to present the Lord, he will put word into our mouth even if we think we're not speaking even if we think we did awful we could not uh, present him adequately or in an appropriate way rest assured that God used whatever words he said in his own miraculous way whether we understand that or not God used it in his own way
clothed in sackcloth, again, this is going to be in contradiction to what the Antichrist is going to be doing. The Antichrist is going to be living up, like, you know, in a royal place and trying to be, you know, in a fancy life. So these two prophets are going to be living a humble life. Uh, and especially like Elijah, when he used to live like it, uh, that was his life. Verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before God of the earth. Two olive trees because they're going to be calling for peace. They will be trying to assure people of God's promises of peace and uh, heaven. Uh, like what happened with Noah Dove in Genesis 8. And they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you remember, we, we talked about, the, in particular in the Old Testament, the olive oil was used to as a, you know, as a sign of the Holy Spirit and to ordain and anoint kings and priests and prophets and so on. Lampstands, because they are a source of, going to be a source of light during this dark period. You go back to uh, previous trumpets think you know trumpets you know four and five and you're gonna you know if you remember the the sun is going to be darkened and third of the sun is going to be darkened uh, so maybe and we said that this stands for the lack of knowledge of jesus christ so now when these two are shining lights they're going to be trying to bring back the knowledge of jesus back to to people and remind them of who christ is Verse 5, And if anyone will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone will hurt them, so it is right for him to be killed. Okay. Whether this is going to happen spiritually or actually physically, that fire actually does come out of their mouth and kill them, we don't know. Or what we know is it's going to be you know, tens times, and these are going to be very powerful. It can be that actually they're going to be preaching God's word, and God's word is one that's going to sort of uh, oppose those people who are opposing them. If you go back to Jeremiah 5 and Jeremiah 23, and Jeremiah 23, 29, it says, Is not my word like a fire? Says Jehovah, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. That's 23, Jeremiah 23, 29. Give you a couple of seconds to find it. Okay. In Jeremiah 5, 14, it says, Therefore, so says Jehovah, the God of hosts, because you spoke this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire. So again, could it be physical fire going out? can be could it be the power of God's words spoken out of their mouth sort of devoured their enemies it can be we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what the situation is going to be like but all what we know is God is telling us that these two people are going to have a lot of strength to support the church and defend the church at that time and defend the truth Here's some of the miracles they're going to perform, which are similar to what Elijah performed and what Moses had performed. In verse 6 said, These have authority to shut up the heaven, that it may not rain in the days of their prophecy. And we said, how, how long are they going to be prophesying? 
go back. Go back to first verse 2. How long did I be prophesizing? Three and a half years. How long did Elijah shut down the heaven from rain? Three years. Right? So he's done it before, he can do it again. And they have authority over waters to turn them to blood. Like what Moses did. And that's why they said, if the first half of the verse is Elijah's, then the second half of the verse should be Moses. And to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. See, as often as they desire. Think about this word for a minute. Usually we say that God's people execute God's will, right? And here God is saying what? They will do as they desire. After a while, God's people, their will becomes God's will and God's will becomes their will. So, at the beginning in our spiritual life, there's a big struggle between our will and God's will. Right? We, we really struggle hard. It becomes a big effort and accomplishment for us, for example, if somebody strikes us on the right cheek and we turn, you know, and we turn the you know, left cheek for them. Or if we avoid getting into a particular temptation, it becomes very, very, you know, uh, big struggle for us to do these things. But after, you know, as we grow spiritually, as we become closer to God, and God's image gets imprinted in us, we be, you know, our will becomes His will. Whatever God wants, we will do. It's not going to be, the struggle is not going to be that difficult, because we're going to, hopefully we're going to achieve the state, have tamed the body, have tamed the desires of the body, so the struggle is not that big. And that's why you see the saints are able to know God's will and execute it. Somebody like Pope Carolus, he knew what God wanted to do for his people without a big struggle. Because his personal will, he gave it to God. And God, in return, shaped that will according to God's will and let him do whatever he wants. So it's a, it's, it's a decision we have to make. Either we keep our will and keep us ourselves independent from God, or we give our will to God, and at the end, whatever God wants to be our will and our desire as well. And we say that in the Buddha says that in the Gregorian liturgy. And I offer to you my will, right? So when Abuna is offering the. Uh, the sacrifices also saying, I'm offering to you, God, you know, my will. So whatever you want to do, let me do it. And uh, there will not be the struggle that we are, as beginners in our spiritual life, are going through on a daily basis. Verse 7. And when they complete their testimony, the beast coming up out of the abyss will make war against them and will overcome them and kill them. So question, if God gave them the power, why would God allow the beast, which is basically the Antichrist, the beast coming from the abyss, that's the Antichrist. Why would God allow this beast to kill them, overcome them and kill them? Can somebody look at the verse and give me the clue? 
Give me the answer. At the beginning of the verse. I'm sorry? They finished their testimony. They completed their mission. They had a specific mission to accomplish, and when they accomplished the mission, they were taken out. Who also said the same thing about his, you know, his mission here on earth? St. Paul, right? St. Paul says when he was writing to Timothy at the end of his days, he said, you know, I, you know, finished my struggle. Now I'm ready, you know, for the, to be the, you know, for the party. Each of us have a, a mission here on earth. God sent us and God, you know, created us and brought us here on earth for a mission. It varies. Maybe your mission is, you know, to be a parent. Maybe your mission to be a teacher. Maybe your mission to be, you know, a priest, a deacon, or just a friend for someone. Or to know something about God or whatever. Each of us have a mission. We're only going to depart. And God said, okay, for you to do this mission, it's going to take you 80 years, 90 years, 50 years, 30 years, whatever. We are living to accomplish this mission. When we accomplish our mission, we're ready to go. However, if we waste our time and don't accomplish the mission on time, and our time ends, we're not going to be ready. Right? So, the idea is, try to find out what God's mission for you is. And believe me, it may take all the days of our lives. We're not going to find out until we go up there. But the idea is that we struggle to accomplish God's will in our life. And when we complete the mission, when we complete our testimony for God, it's going to be time for us to go. And that's why you find when you know we talk about the righteous people who die, we feel they have accomplished something. They knew God in a particular way. They accomplished something. And when they depart, they leave a good memory. And they, you know, because they did the job here on earth. So hopefully all of us will be able to say with these two witnesses, it was St. Paul, we completed our testimony. We completed our mission successfully. Beast out of the abyss. As we said, the beast out of the abyss is the Antichrist. It can be the the beast coming out, or can be the angel that fell from uh, the fifth uh, fifth trumpet in chapter nine, or the beast of chapter thirteen, or it can be the same. It doesn't have to be two different ones, or it can be two different ones. We don't know yet. Again, if you go back. To what we said earlier, people said the trumpets and some other events in the revelations sort of repeat itself. First one vision gives the whole big picture, and then another vision on a particular period of time, and then a third vision on getting closer closer toward the end days. Could it be that the beast of the fifth trumpet, the beast of the chapter 13, and this one the same? Maybe. Could it be different? Maybe as well. We don't know. Okay. But the book of Revelation stands for or gives the description of the Antichrist as the beast out of the abyss. The devil is always fighting God's people and he, you know, looks temporary as if he won. 
So when he kills these two prophets, those people who are supporting them and you know cheering for God and cheering for those two, these you know two prophets, they're gonna think what? Oops, this is it. Now nobody else can stand in front of the of the beast. Nobody else can stand in front of this big monster who's destroying everything and ruining the church. We're gone, okay. and we give up and lose hope. Now, let's see what God is going to do in order for the church not to give up hope. Though that basically the the difference in days, you know, the end of the world between their death and the end of the world is just days. So let's wait until we see what you know what's going to come in the next few verses. In verse eight. I give it upstairs. Yeah. In verse 8, And their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Yeah. Now, when they, you know, when they don't bury them, and they, you know, their bodies lie in the streets, we we hear about that what's going on for example in Iraq and Baghdad and you know all these horrible things and we're sitting here in the West comfortably and saying oh, this is horrible these are vicious savage people who are so bad and you know so ugly and all kind of descriptions we give to them guess what sin is sin whether it's in the East Far East West Midwest or whatever sin is sin. Uh, the devil is hiding under a lot of pretense in our society today. However, when the time comes for him to declare himself and really show his ugly face, it's going to be as ugly as it is anywhere else in the world. It does not make a difference where the devil is. The devil is the devil. And sin is as horrible as it is. Here the West because, you know, pretending under the uh, humanitarian activities and so on, that whatever is happening in other parts of the world is cruel and ugly. Again, once the devil takes over, and it's going to be the same anywhere, regardless of whether it's in the 1st century, 10th century, 20th century, tw you know, 30th century, we don't know. Sin is sin, regardless. So don't be fooled, but... but by what's going on outside us uh, today. Alright, the great city. Again, verse 8. Most likely this is the place where you know the Antichrist is going to be ruling. Right. Uh, there are a lot of theories about the Antichrist, about where he's going to be and how he's going to show up and, and all that. Uh, and you hear, even in the church, uh, people saying that uh, he's going to be in Jerusalem. Again, we don't know. The clues we have in this chapter are the first, uh, you know, clues. Um, and, and these clues, which is basically in the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Some people look at this, and our Lord was crucified as being Jerusalem. Physically, Jerusalem. It can be, or it can be a place where there's a lot of sin. When do we find God, you know, God crucified? When there, where there's a lot of sin. 
So that can be one of the things. And we shouldn't look at it as the actual description because when we look at, start putting physical you know, dimensions to the prophecies of Revelation, we limit ourselves tremendously and create ourselves big problems. So the description of this place, first is going to be the capital of the Antichrist. Second, it's going to have the same sin as Sodom, which is homosexuality. And as we can see today, the rise of homosexuality is one of the signs of the approach of the end of the world. Also, in Egypt, it has the same sins as Sodom and Egypt. Under what is Egypt's sin? Can anybody tell me what is Egypt's sin? All Egyptians here, so. What are we famous for? I'm sorry? Not fully ta'amayya. Hopefully this is not a sin. <laughs> We're going to be in trouble. Proud. Arrogance. You're like the pharaoh. You're like a pharaoh, right? You're, you're arrogant. Nobody can talk to you. What else? What happened to Pharaoh when he was being, you know, receiving the plagues one after the other? They held the Israelites as slaves. So being cruel to God's children. Very good. What else? He kept hardening his heart. Hardening his heart. Every time he said, I sin to the Lord and to you. Pray for me and the Lord, you know, to, to stop this plague and I will let you go. And then next day, eh, you go and leave your children and your wives. Uh, you go with your children and your wives and leave your cattle. And, harden his heart. and after, you know, he got by the last plague which is the death of the eldest son people hardened his heart and he went back after Moses and the Israelites to kill them so the description of the city where the anti-Christ is going to be is going to be number one homosexuality two arrogance pride and hard you know hard heart and where the Lord is crucified. So what, whether you want to take as the Lord crucified as a physical location or as a spiritual location where they're going to basically condemn Christ and reject Christ and crucify Him out of their lives, however you want to do it, because the fathers took it either way. Don't we have like Antichrist now? And all, like, is he talking about specific Antichrist or the last Antichrist? Or? What do you mean do we have an Antichrist right now? Don't we have Antichrist all the time? We have a lot of people who are against Christ, yes. But they're going to be a specific individual that St. Paul is talking about him, that he's going to go into the temple of God and declare himself to be God. And people will follow him. Leaving the true God and true Christ away. And they will say that yes, your God, and they start worshipping him. What does the devil want to do? What is the original sin of the devil? I'm sorry? He wanted to be like God. He said, I will lift up my, you know, my throne above the throne of God. He wanted to be even higher than God. So his main objective is that people worship him. It's not important what you know, what you and I do. It's what he really cares about is that 
you forget about God and you come to him. That's why he bribes us with all these little things, all these desires, all these, you know, uh, money, food, sex, everything. He bribes us with whatever he wants because he wants us to follow him and leave God. So at the end days, he's going to put all his power, all his strength into a person that who's going to come here on earth, actually live and rule for three and a half years. And then everybody will follow that person. And that person we're going to see later on, he's going to perform miracles. He's, he's going to make his picture speak and he's going to do wonder, wondrous things. And he's going to appear as if he uh, was dead and you know became alive. All the power of the devil is going to be behind that person in order to deceive people once and for all. Thinking that God is not going to get involved or he's going to try to capture as many souls as he can. So yes, there are going to be many antichrists. And from day one, there were a lot of people against the Lord. And the sign that we're going to see later on that his name is going to be, or his name number is going to be 666. And we're going to talk about what does that mean then. And, you know, maybe what does this mean now, uh, later on, you know, next few chapters. But the Lord was very, God, you know, was very specific about that. And the apostles, were very specific about a person, a specific individual who's going to come and declare himself to be God. Right. So that's chapter 8. Now things that are, that can be very, you know, easy to understand today and was not easy to understand 50 years ago. And many of the people and tribes and tongues and nations will see their dead bodies three days and a half and they will not allow their dead bodies to be put in tombs. Chapter 11, verse 9. Now, 50 years ago, could, could you understand that verse? How can the whole world or many of people, tribes and tongues, see their bodies in three and a half days? Can you understand this verse today? Is it easy to imagine that this is happening today? Satellites, right? Let's say they're going to be crucified or, you know, killed in City X. Everybody in the world will be able to see their bodies, right? With the news media, with the internet, with all these easy ways to access information. It's going to be very easy to see their bodies, dead bodies all over the place. Who's the bodies? This is the two witnesses. The two witnesses. If we talk about them, say them, you know, most likely they're Elijah and Enoch or Elijah and Moses, depend on which school you want to follow. Okay. So, St. John wrote that 2,000 years ago. For the last 1,970 years, no one was able probably to understand that verse thoroughly. How are we going to be able to see you know, the bodies of these two prophets from over the world. And, but now, I think it's very, very easy to understand. So there is a lot of things in the Bible that maybe we'll, we don't understand it now. In the future, it's going to be self-evident. So let's wait on it, give it time, and God's going to reveal himself very easily what, how he's going to execute these things. And that also shows that speaking with terminology that's 2,000 years old 
Sir John could not have said TV, could not have said the internet, or whatever media is going to be available when this happens, because we don't know when this is going to happen. It may happen in a few years, it may happen in hundreds of years. We don't know. So maybe there's going to be a different media available at that time. And St. John described that in a generic term that can apply. And the ones who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and will make merry and will send one another gifts because these two prophets tormented those living on the earth. That was living in the year 1800. And I say that these two people are going to be dead for three and a half days because that's the only period they're going to be here on, dead here on earth three and a half days. And people will be able to send gifts to each other across the world in three and a half days. I would say that this, this verse is wrong. Today, it's very easy. You go on the internet, you know, you Google a place somewhere in whatever city you want to do, and just cut a card, the gift is sent to your friend anywhere in the world, and you're sitting at your home, in front of your terminal, and easy. So even maybe 10 years ago, we couldn't understand how people would send gifts. The only thing we can think of at that time, maybe UPS or Federal Express, whatever. But now, the, the way can, this verse can be implemented is completely easy and to, to, in our community today it's very easy to do that so again the Bible is going to reveal itself more and more when the events are about to happen I'm not saying that this is it I'm, you know, we're not saying like you know what other people are saying that the internet is the antichrist and this is the devil and all this kind of stuff we're not saying that but this is the media that's going to be available by which these verses are going to be implemented and going to become real right? so I'm not saying Yahoo is bad or eBay is you know this is what the tool of the Antichrist or any of these things please don't think of it that way but other things that John knew about eBay at his time okay but again, look at the cruelty of people that are going to be at that time. The bodies are going to be out in the street and people are going to be rejoicing. That's why. Yes, and another you know, important thing. If I'm in sin, if I'm living, uh, I have a particular sin in my life, and somebody comes and rebukes me for that sin, not even rebuke me from the sin. If I see a righteous person who's not living that sin, guess what I'm gonna, you know, gonna feel about it. I'm gonna hate that person. I'm gonna be angry against anybody who rebukes me or who points out my wrong. Isn't that what's happening around us today? Anybody who said abortion is wrong is accused to be what? Against freedom of choice? Uh, anybody who's you know against homosexuality is accused to be you know close-minded, uh, retarded, all these things, and it's a war against religious people because they are against that. When uh, Falwell or any of these people go and say something public against gays and uh, lesbians, he's accused that he is uh, you know racist and. You know, Nazi-like and, and all these descriptions that you can, you know you want to use. Why? Because these people who are living in the sin cannot tolerate anybody correcting them or pointing their 
this you know sinful situation. So they're going to be rejoicing because they got rid of the the source of annoyance for them. And look at the the expression the word that the Bible is using tormented those living on earth. How can two individuals torment all those who are living on earth? If it wasn't for at that time the situation of people is going to be so bad and their righteousness and their rebuke of sin is going to be strong they're going to feel tormented for three and a half years. So they're going to be able to use most likely if we try to use the today's media as an example they will be able to use the media they will be able to have you know go on talk shows and all that and address people and address nations and rebuke them for their sin to combat the antichrist and everyone in the world is going to hear them and going to know that what they're doing and what they're following is wrong okay. I, I know I missed the first part sorry but are we going to are people going to know these are the two people that came back this is like that's a very good question most likely yes because they're going to be completely different than anybody else they're going to have powers the Lord described them they're going to have powers that they're going to you know they can send fires they can send plagues as they desire uh, on people they're going to be mighty two mighty and strong individuals and the devil the antichrist is going to hate them and he's going to finally get them and kill them and everybody's going to be happy that they get rid of these two people Let's see what the Lord is going to do afterwards because, again, God does not leave himself without a witness. And after these, after the three days and a half, a spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on all, on those seeing them. Is there going to be any more thing powerful than that? A person has been dead for three and a half days, rising up from dead, and then we're going to see later on they're going to be ascending into heaven. Now this is this is a you know, I'm sure if we all say if we're going to see something like this, we're going to believe, and you know everybody's going to believe, and everybody's going to repent and go back to God. No, that's not going to be what's going to happen. If we uh, go quickly to chapter 13. And the rest were frightened and gave glory to God, the God of heaven. You're not going to give glory to God, the God of heaven, because God is going to be distant from them at that time. They will no longer try to associate themselves with God. God is going to be far, cruel, uh, and you know, uh, He only brings destruction to people and he only brings uh, diseases and he only brings these things we don't like this God and you hear that from people I don't I don't want you know people to talk to me about God God you know brings you know why would God allow these things to happen if he's really God why would he allow you know this person to be sick and this person to die and this person to go through this accident you know this happens to me and this happens to this guy we don't want to know this God we heard that today so they're going to distance themselves from this God, our God. 
That's why they were not going to believe that. Even when they see such a powerful miracle that people, they kill themselves and they've been dead for three and a half days, rise up from the dead and ascend to heaven. And all the disasters are going to happen afterwards. There still was a cruelty and hard, again, the sins of Egypt, hardened heart, they will not believe that and will not repent. That's why at the beginning of the chapter, God was measuring and he said, you know, and we said that at that time there's no more, people are not going to repent anymore. That's why there's a measurement and accountability. You're either in the temple or outside the temple. Uh, okay. Again, we see the three and a half days and the three and a half repeating. And a spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those seeing them. Wait, I'm sorry. Real quick, if it's long, don't answer it. But does three and a half have a meaning? It's a very good question. And I, so far I was not able to find a very strong meaning. The only meaning I was able to find is that it represents a period. Because this three and a half is, is you know, you're going to find it throughout all the revelation, actually. Uh, in Christ's life. In Christ's life and everything. And they say it's, the way it's inscribed, always, you know, a period, two periods, and then a half. Right? So, it's a period, and then you think, oh, you have plenty of time. It goes, and then all of a sudden you find it shrinking to half. That's the only explanation I will you know, find. The other explanation is half seven. Seven is a complete number. The world was created in seven days and so on. And three and a half is only half of that. So it's only half the, the reality or half the, the facts or half the truth. I don't know. But is that a really good explanation? I don't know. Couldn't find one. So I can't make up one. Say again. Can you stretch it for us? Sure. It's not going to be that easy. <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> well, maybe you'll find you know an answer somewhere else. So, yes, me. Probably yes, because again they're going to be uh, dead for three days. Here's three and a half. Christ was only for three days. They're going to be resurrected. Yes, it's the same power of resurrection. Again, all these things. When you think about it, God is trying to t- talk to people in all sorts of ways. So they would repent through the natural disasters, through problems in their lives, through tribulations, through these two witnesses to rebuke them. Even, okay, they're going to be only for, you know, dead for three days or three and a half days, and then they're going to resurrect again. That should tell people, listen, we've been hearing about the story about Christ, and he was dead for three days and he was resurrected and so on. So maybe these two are, you know, true and what they've been telling us for the last three and a half, you know, years is true. And maybe we should change from following this, you know, devil into following, you know, God and repenting. But the problem is when people are entrenched in sin for such a long time, they become blind. They will not see the truth no matter how clear it is. Even if, you know, Christ himself was here on earth, he performed miracles. He raised the dead. And guess what the Jews wanted to do? Well, let's kill Lazarus. Christ raised him, 
let's kill him so nobody would know. We, we joke about that, but it happens in our lives. You know, to, to different extents, the truth would be in front of us and we're just trying to find excuses to stop it or to block it or to avoid it or to do something else about it. To different degrees, of course. I'm not saying, you know, we're doing like the Jews or, you know, trying to hide the truth or whatever, but to, to different extents in our life. Of course, as I said, when at the beginning there's big difference between our will and God's will, but the closer we get, the difference is going to be hopefully small. But you still, there's still going to be a difference. I see your question. I was wondering, like, the number three, like, does it just symbolize the Trinity? Like, in this particular... Uh, like in Christ's own resurrection, why did he rise in three days? Why not four, three and a half? St. Athanasius had a long article, you know, about that in his book about the Incarnation. And he said three days for two reasons, multiple or several reasons. What I remember f- from right now is that one of them is that uh, people would not forget him. If he was dead for like a week or two weeks, especially after the feast, don't forget that, you know, Good Friday was during the Passover when a lot of people were there. Uh, so after a week, everybody would have gone and people would have forgotten about what happened on Good Friday. So they will forget about him. If he resurrected like two days one day after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, he wasn't even dead. So it had to be long enough that it's not coma, it's not uh, he went out of conscious, you know, none of these things, you know, no life support system, none of these things. So even if he went to a coma or whatever, he probably would have, you know, died within three days anyway. So that's a powerful message about the resurrection. If it's too long, it's too late. And a great fear fell on them, on those seeing them. Great fear. You don't hear that when you're walking with God. When you're walking with God, you don't fear anything except God, of course. And we're going to see that later on, what the 24 priests are saying at the end. But the devil will try to let you think that with him, everything goes. But... There's always fear when you're, you know, when you walk in the devil's path. Or those who are walking the devil's path, there's always fear there. But even these people are going to be afraid from what they, what they saw, but they still they're not going to believe. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. Right? Again, this is to strengthen the message that these people were from heaven, and what's happening is heavenly. And they're going up to heaven. So, guess what? Here's the time we said that the Antichrist is going to be on earth. Everybody's going to be deceived. Very few people are going to be left. And they're going to be confused. Are they really following God? Or should this, this is the true God? And this is, you know, what they should be doing. And these two witnesses are going to come. And they're going to testify for God. To strengthen the faith of those, you know, the few who are still going to believe in God. Two and a half years passed. The Antichrist take them, kill them. The the church or what left of the church is going to feel 
oops, we lost all our hope. If these were God people, why would he let them be killed? Right? Why would God, God allow you know, persecution? Why would God allow this to happen and so on? But then three and a half days, strong, very strong miracle happens in front of everyone to strengthen the faith of those who are remaining. And now there's only like 15 or 16 days left and the whole world is going to end. And in, in that hour, a great earthquake occurred, and the tenth part of the city fell, and 7,000 of names were slain in the earthquake. And the rest were frightened and gave glory to God of heaven. Not God in the heaven, the God of heaven, and I think we talked about that. So again, natural disasters are going to happen, coincides with this, to tell, to try to check these people the last time, the last few times but they're still not going to believe right. the second war passed away behold the third war comes quickly again all these are warnings for people to repent but they not repent and another thing to notice is that these trumpets this is the sixth trumpet and now we're going to go to the seventh uh, these trumpets may take days may take years, may take millenniums, we don't know. Like this sixth trumpet took three and a half years. And the trumpet that we saw earlier may have taken hundreds of years. Or may take minutes. We don't know. That's why we should keep our minds open and understand what do they mean and don't say this means A, B, C. We can't say that. Right? And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Right. What does that mean? The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. Isn't God the king of kings? So why is not his kingdoms already? Satan? Yes. So right now, who is the king of this world? Satan is. Right? Uh, what does, how can we prove that from the Bible? What did Christ say? The king of this world will come and will find nothing for him in me. Right? So, but we go back to the letter of the Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 28 but when all things are subjected to him then the son himself also will be subject to him who has subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all and if we go to Hebrews 2.8 this might be easier let's go to Hebrews 2.8 might be our guest speaker. If you find the page number, let us know so we can all follow it. 1173. 
chapter 2, verse 8. You have, put all, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. Right. So, God, as the head of the church, everything has been given to him and being subjected to him. However, now because, uh, again, God giving us, each one of us, a free will, not everything in our lives is still subject, subjected to him. It's not under his authority. However, at the end, everything will be subjected to him. Everything will be in his authority. And those who do not offer themselves and allow God to, to rule over them, they're going to go to hell and they're going to stay with the devil forever. Okay. So again, the Bible all ties together. And if we want to understand the Bible, we need to use the Bible to understand the Bible, not our own uh, interpretation. Verse 16, Revelation 11, 16 and 17. And the 24 elders sitting before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying... We thank you, O Lord Almighty, who are, who was, and who is coming, because you took your great power and drained. So, again, the heavenly, I've been praising God for everything he does for us, and now they're going to praise him for the, the, the judgment of the word and for uh, giving an, and putting an end to sin. Uh, Almighty can you know represents the Father who are and who was and who is coming that's the, the Son who is coming that shows the second coming of what's going to happen reigned uh, again there's a big huge difference between the heavenly who are happy that God is going to reign over them and those who are on earth and following Satan they hate it when God is going to come because now it's completely against everything they've been doing and, you know, against their will and against their desires. Verse 18, And the nations were full of wrath, and your wrath came, and the time of judge, the judging of the dead, and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and the ones fearing your name, to the small and to the great, and to destroy those destroying the earth so the ha heavenly are happy again for the reward and for the punishment of the wicked for the reward of the righteous and the punishment of the wicked there's a very important verse here because there's a lot of theories going around us is that we should not fear God anymore and the fear is out God who is feared is God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament is not a feared God and we had our own internal discussion in this group here uh, about this God of the Old Testament, uh, the way we perceive him in the Old Testament, the way we perceive him in the New Testament, and so on, is the same or, or different. And if you look here in the verse 18, and to those, and to the ones fearing your name, okay, this is this is New Testament, right? Book of Revelation is New Testament, and it's still talking about those fearing God's name. With the New Testament, with God's love and Him showing His love to us, still does not prevent us, should not stop us from fearing Him as well. If we go into sin, we better fear Him because 
he is righteous and he's going to give an account to everyone is going to give account to him whether it's good or bad and yes the, the love if we're always living in God's love that's great and wonderful but we should not forget that also the beginning of wisdom the fear you know the fear of Jahava is the beginning of wisdom never forget both of them and they all live together and again go back to the Old Testament from the book of Genesis Exodus every single book of the Old Testament you see that God is a loving God and he always talk about himself as a loving God and the act of love he, that he does to his people so it's the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament and we should always love him and we should always also fear him and when we're talking about him, when we talk about his love, we talk about his love for those people who are uh, desperate and looking for something to come back and repent to. And those who are living in sin and don't care, we should always remind them with the fear of God. So if love doesn't attract them, maybe fear will prevent them from doing sin and sinning and continuing to sin. Verse 19, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the Ark of the Covenant, and there occurred lightnings and voices and thunders and an earthquake and a great hail. Wait a minute. Earthquake, thunder, and hail in heaven or on earth or where? Wait a minute. Ark of Covenant? Wasn't that lost? couple of thousand years ago is going to appear again or what does this mean what did the Ark of Covenant represent in the Old Testament what's inside what was inside the Ark of Covenant Ten Commandments what else Manna and Rod so, what did the Ark of Covenant represent? Who was inside? God. God among His people. And the man represented Christ. And God's Word, the Ten Commandments, also represents Christ. So, now when we say the Ark of Covenant is seen in heaven, it means who's seen in heaven? Christ on his throne is seen in heaven, right? Not really the Ark of Covenant that Moses built, you know, uh, three and a half uh, thousand years ago. Uh, and the temple of God was opened in heaven. Is there a temple of God in heaven? Remember we talked about that before in the previous chapters and we said, what's the altar who offered himself as a sacrifice? That was Christ who offered himself as a sacrifice. So the altar is can be his throne, a reminder of the cross for us. So Temple of God is, you know, basically you can look at that as you know his throne in heaven was seen and again uh, and the ark of his covenant, again to remind people of his promise to us and his covenant to us of mercy and of justice is going to be appearing in front of everyone and people are still not going to repent but this verse 
uh, the father said that this verse represents sort of the end of the world and then we go back again and concentrate on another f- period in the end times okay. right this is basically chapter uh, 11 so to summarize this is the sixth trumpet and this, which is the second woe there were three woes this is the second one uh, talks about two witnesses that God is going to send to testify for him during the time of the Antichrist okay. and we're going to dedicate some time to the Antichrist and the heresy of the millennium reign and, and all these things later on You took your great power, but uh, no, no, again, this is not because uh, here you took your great power and drained. Could yeah. you know, again, uh, Christ is the Logos, so he is. It can, but this is this is all toward the end. This is what's going to happen at, at the end. Uh, uh, lightnings, voices, and thunders, and earthquakes, and hail. Did they happen on earth? I don't know. Did it happen in heaven? He was talking about heaven. Uh, how can earthquakes happen in heaven? Can't happen in heaven because. There's no earthquakes in heaven. I'm sorry? It's earthquake. It's not heavenquakes. <laughs> so, there are things we don't understand? Yeah, for sure. Right. And hopefully when it happens, uh, we're going to be there watching. And we're going to understand what happens at that time. Alright? Any other questions? Any comments? Anyone would like to add anything about this? the two witnesses? Again, hopefully we're all witnesses in our own way. Uh, and God is going to give us the power. Maybe not exactly the same way as these two ones. But again, God is going to give us the power to witness for himself. In our own way. Okay, okay thanks.